Hey, thanks for joining the Pathway Church podcast. Today we're in the fourth and final week of a message series all about reconciliation, how to repair and mend broken relationships in our lives. Today, uh, Pastor Nathan is going to get super practical about how we can take a step and who should take the first step when there's a broken relationship with uh, in our lives. So I uh, hope this is helpful. Grab a notepad and uh, let's jump on into this. Awesome. Good morning, everybody. It's been a great morning already. Thanks so much. We've got so many people sitting in the front of the church. This is amazing. Thank you for doing that. You know what? When people sit in the front few rows, worship is better. The preaching is better, right? Because I'm not preaching to some people in the back. I'm just preaching to people. And often when I'm preaching, I look at the people that I can see, and it gives me ideas. And so that really helps. You know, some of you guys provide great material for me. I appreciate it. So if you haven't been with us, we're in the fourth and final week of a message series called Reassembly Required, a Beginner's Guide to Fixing Broken Relationships. Now you might be wondering, why would a church spend four weeks talking about us reassembling broken relationships? And the reason for that is, well, there's a few, but the first is, all of us live in the context of relationship. It means we do life with other people, we share time, space, resources, our lives intersect, and that's relationship. And what happens is in the course of our lives, we do relationships, we have family, parent, child, uh, siblings, uh, marriages, friendships, roommates, workmates, all of these relationships we have, at times those relationships become strained and sometimes broken. Would you agree? And sometimes it's our fault, sometimes it's the other person, well, it's usually the other person's fault, let's just be honest, okay? But usually there's, there's something that's taking place, and, and what we're talking about through this four-week message series is how do we move towards what the Bible calls reconciliation, fixing a broken relationship. We all know how to get into a relationship. We're not always sure how to fix them when they're broken. And I'll tell you what, this matters because the health of our relationships directly impacts our lives and the lives of those close to us. I think all of us have been in a situation where we've had like two best friends, you know, let's go back to high school, if you will, for just a moment. Hopefully it's not too traumatic. You're in high school, your two best friends are having an all-out war, and you're the person caught in the middle trying to make peace And at the end, they hug, and they're friends again, and you're covered with wounds. And so what happens is in life, as we try to mend relationships, there's all this damage that happens. So uh, number one, as followers of Jesus, this is actually something that we're called to do and called uh, to be good at. You know, I know, I'm looking out at you guys, and I can see a bunch of you. You look great. And, And listen, you might be looking around the room and going, these people don't need four weeks in a row on mending broken relationships. They're, all the relationships must be healthy. And I learned a long time ago that things are not always as they seem. Uh, there were, there were years, I, remember, I remember driving to church as a family because my, my, my dad uh, ended up becoming a pastor. So we were very involved in church as a kid. And we'd be driving to church and on the way I'd be bothering my brother, my parents. There was obvious tension going on and I'd be picking and my brother would start to scream. My dad would do the thing that I definitely don't recommend you do. He would reach over the seat and just start swinging. And it was like, I would just hold my brother out in front, and he would take the brunt of it. So he's screaming. My mom's like, Doc, don't do that. And she, and we pull into the church parking lot, and we got to compose ourselves. She's dabbing, you know, the makeup and stopping the tears. And then we walk up to the church, and the greeter opens the door and says, good morning. God bless you. And it's like, oh, good morning. God is good all the time. All the time. God is good. And you walk into church, and you pretend, and you sit down, and everything's good. But you know it's not good. And this is to be continued later. And so no matter how it looks on the surface, we all have relationships that are in need of repair. And in this message, we've been talking about how to to move in the direction of repairing those. So let me just take a moment to recap where we were last week. These were three points from my, my message last Sunday. Number one, someone always pays. 
right? And this is true. If our relationships are broken and we can go, well, I don't mind, I'll pay the price. But sometimes our family, friends, the people who live with us are paying the price for that broken relationship. Uh, number two, that it requires two willing parties. You're not always able to just like, I can't just fix, if you and I have a broken relationship, I can't fix it. We have to fix it together. And there's, there's work that has to be done on both sides. That doesn't mean that there isn't something you and I can do, even if the other person is unwilling. We've talked about that. Third, self-awareness paves the way. We saw from the words of Jesus, we're so good at spotting the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye while ignoring the log in our own. In other words, our judgment of ourselves and others and who's to blame is not very good. That's the whole point that Jesus is making. So self-awareness paves the way to reconciliation. We really have to own our piece of the pie. We have to go, okay, this is mine to own. I'm going to take responsibility and we're going to move towards reconciliation. So what I want to do today is I want to turn to Romans chapter 12. This is going to be our text and we'll begin in verse 18. And this is at the center of our text. And let me just kind of lay the land for you. It says this, if possible. So what I just say, it takes two parties Not always going to be able to reconcile, but if it's possible, guess what? You and I are to pursue it. And he continues and says this, so far as it depends on you. Now, we could personalize that and say, as far as it depends on me, can let's all say that together, as far as it depends on me. So there's responsibility on my part and on yours to live peaceably with all, to pursue healthy relationships, to pursue the kinds of homes workplaces, wherever we find ourselves. It is, it is part of our job as followers of Jesus to be those who bring peace and those who move towards reconciliation even when no one else is willing to. Quick recap from last week. I shared this little diagram of relationship. I said this is a healthy relationship because there's this balanced relationship. There's trust. There's respect. All of those things. But what happens is if this person harms this person, the relationship goes out of balance. And we can go to the next one. Okay, this is how the relationship now looks. And in simple terms, I used the example last week, if I stole $1,000 from you, this is how our relationship would look, right? I would owe you $1,000, and in fact, in order to get our relationship back to where it should be, back to health, I would have to repay you, maybe plus penalties. How many of you remember the laws of restitution from last week? If you steal someone's sheep, how many sheep do you have to repay? Anybody shout it out. Four sheep, right? So there is a heavy penalty to have restitution. So this this is what the scriptures teach. That if I harm you, that I must truly repent, which means that I'm willing to repay plus damages, not just like, oh, I'm sorry, you should suck it up, but like, I'm sorry, and I'm trying to do whatever I can to make it right. I'm trying to get back. But often, as you know, when we damage relationships, there are things that we can't pay back. Words that are said, you can't take them back. And so what has, the person who's on the other side who's been offended, who's owed something, often has to forgive, which is to release the debt. Either way, somebody's paying, right? Somebody always pays. But, but if one person truly repents, willing to pay back, and the other will even bear the cost, if necessary, to truly forgive, then the relationship can be brought back into balance and can be restored. Now, go do this. Easy, right? It's simple, but it's not easy. It's like losing weight. Everyone knows how. It's so simple. Just eat less and do more. But it's not easy. And this is true about relationships. It's simple, but it's not, it's not easy. One of the things we're learning throughout this series is this, that relationships, uh, reconciliation is a posture. And that's really what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Because if you don't posture yourself towards relationship, it doesn't work. And you know this because you can do all the right things in a relationship and it's not right. So, for example... 
Again, picking on my brother. Uh, my younger brother and I would fight, and my mom would say, you wait till your dad gets home. Anybody here ever got that threat? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, so my dad would come home, poor guy, you know, 12 hours working in the machine shop, exhausted, hangry, and he come, walks in the door and like, Jack, get over here and talk to these two boys. We're sitting on the couch, and we both start explaining our side of the story, right? Well, it wasn't my fault, it was Justin's fault, and he's like, well, it was Nathan, and we're not owning our piece of the pie. And finally, my dad would interrupt us and be like, okay, that's it. Nathan, you're the oldest. Tell your brother you're sorry. And I would turn to him, and I'm like, you're sorry. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't go well, right? So I'd finally say the words, I'm sorry, Justin. And he would say, I'm sorry, Nathan. But I'm looking at him with that eye that says, as soon as dad's gone, you're dead. Like, this is not over. So the posture wasn't there. We were going through the motions, but the, and you know, right? You can, in your relationships, you, you can say to your friend, your wife, or whatever, you can say, well, like, hey, are we good? It's like, yeah, we're fine. And you know. Fine almost never means fine. The posture has to be right, which is why we had these two, these two decisions that we can make that we've talked about in previous weeks. Number one, I'll get back to, not back at. In other words, I value the relationship more than I value being right. This relationship matters to me, and I'm aimed squarely at restoring it with you. That's in a hard attitude thing, not the stink eye I gave my brother, okay? Number two, I will own my slice of the blame pie. It means being willing to own my piece of this and to truly and humbly take responsibility for my part in what has happened in this relationship. Now, those are, are posture things, okay? But reconciliation is not just a posture, it's also a process. And today, I want to talk a little bit about posture and process. How, how do we take steps? How do we start the process of reconciliation? That's what I want to talk about today. And to do that, we're going to turn to Romans 12, we're going to read about five or six verses, And Paul's going to address both posture and process as far as reconciliation and peace. He says this, live in harmony or peace with one another. That's the aim. Would you agree? That's better. Because I'll tell you, there's nothing better than having healthy relationships. When you come home and the people who live there are happy to see you and you have fun together and there's love and support and encouragement, that's the best. And there's nothing worse when the relationships are poisonous and toxic and hurtful and so we want to live in harmony. This is the aim. And he continues, this is, here's, here's one of the ways we do that. Don't be haughty. That's a word for proud. Don't set yourself up above other people, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So Paul is telling the Romans, he's saying, listen, if you want to have healthy relationships, don't, don't sit up on your high horse and point down at the minions, your family, your friends, be like, well, if you would just do it the way I said, if you would just, I'm right, and if you would just change your part, we'd fix this. He says that. How many of you would want to be on the other side of that? <laughs> no. This does not move you towards peace, but he says, associate with the lowly. What he's talking about is come off your high horse and come down and humbly move in the direction of the other person. This is one of the things that we can do in order to move towards reconciliation. He continues, and here's the text we already read. He says this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So again, Paul's like, here's some things you can do, but as long as it can be done by you, you ought to do it. And he continues and says this, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now this is, this is what we talked about, not getting back at, but getting back to the person, okay? Here's the problem. 
in, in the Old Testament, we have um, these restitution laws, and one of them is eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. How many of you heard of that? So if I accidentally poked your eye out, now you're blind in one eye, then by law, you're able to poke out, damage my eye, so then now we're even. If I knock out your tooth, you can knock out mine, now we're both missing a tooth. That's fair. We all agree, right? That's it's kind of fair. Like, we're balancing the scales. The problem with that is it never ends. If I hurt you, and then you get mad and hurt me, and then I hurt you, and I, we're taking vengeance on each other, all of a sudden we, we decay into war and destruction and death. And at some point, someone's got to stop the repayment and leave it in the hands of God, the only good and wise judge. And so what Paul is saying is like, if we really want to be people of reconciliation, we have to decide we're not the judge, jury, and executioner. We've got to stop. We have to extend grace. He continues and he says, on the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, so the person who's against you, hurting you, is hungry, him or her, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink, for by doing so, this is such a weird phrase. If you grew up in church, you've heard this, right? By doing so, you'll heap burning coals on their head. And everyone's like, ouch. Right? Because you think, oh, that's a punishment. You're like burning their head by being nice. No, this is actually a reference to one of the Proverbs. And what it's talking about here, see, they used coals to soften metal. They would put ore, you know, a mixture of rock and metal into coals. And as it would heat, the metal, which was valuable, would flow out. It would soften and flow out of the rock. That's what this is talking about. It's talking about when you're kind to somebody, when they've been mean to you, they start to feel like a jerk. They start to go, oh man, like, why is this person? And what should happen, okay, what should happen and what often happens is their heart softens towards you. Isn't that true? Paul says in Romans that, that it's the kindness of God. It's His goodness that, that leads us to repentance. His mercy and grace towards us softens our heart towards Him. And by, by doing good to our enemies, we actually soften their heart towards us. And that's one of the first steps towards reconciliation. So he wraps it up with this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The process has to stop and something has to change. So here's the question I want to ask you today. and We'll spend a bit of time on this. Now what? Okay, so we're here. We've been talking about reconciliation for three and a half sermons. And you're probably going, okay, this is something I, I want to do. I realize it's important. Actually, the Holy Spirit has kind of impressed upon me a relationship that's broken that I need to do something. What do I do? And, you know, the, the question we kind of have to ask ourselves is, is this. This is the big question. Who goes first? Would you agree? Now, here's what I think. I think the person that should go first is the person who left, the person who stole, the person who lied, the person who damaged the relationship in the first place. That's the person who should go first. Do you agree with me? In a perfect world, that's exactly what happened. But the problem with that is, there's actually a few problems I'm going to list for you. Number one, one of the problems with that is that um, if you are waiting on the person who offended you to go first, you might be waiting forever. Agree? That's the problem. Because then the relationship never gets fixed. Or, or here's, here's an even better one. As I said before, relationships are, are often tricky. And so I might think that you offended me, but you actually feel like I hurt and offended you. So we both are waiting for the other person to come and fix it because we don't have our slice of the blame pie correct. And so we're both waiting on each other. And once again, the relationship never gets resolved. That's why Paul says, as much as it is in your power to do it, do it. Live at peace with everyone. So who goes first? Who goes first? I think uh, reconciliation is a lot like a grade 8 school dance. 
Now, I don't know, how many of you went to a grade 8 school dance? Some of you are not yet, but like a bunch of you, okay. Now, maybe your dance was hopping, but let me tell you about my grade 8 school dance. I remember going there, I was wearing my, one of my dad's dress shirts and tie, which was out of the ordinary for me, and I walked into the gym, and all the guys were standing on one wall. You can picture the scene. All these beautiful young ladies standing on the other wall, didn't recognize half of them, never seen them with so much makeup on, they got their beautiful dresses and their hair's up, and they're all standing on the wall looking beautiful, and all the guys are standing over here, and I just remember standing on the wall with the guys going, we should dance. Everyone wanted to be in the, the music's playing, and everyone's on the walls. And I remember thinking, man, everyone wants to be on the dance floor, but nobody's on the dance floor. Why? Somebody had to go. <laughs> yeah, somebody had to. We were all trying to encourage John. Like, go, go do it, man. It's going to be great. And he's like, oh. And we're terrified. And I remember thinking to myself, well, I, I could be the first, but I don't know how to dance. I grew up in church, right? They did not teach how to slow dance in church. Like, you know, some of the churches I went to, when dancing broke out, it was what we called the charismatic two-step. So you were like clapping. And then you would like kick a, a foot. It was this guy. Anybody remember this? And I wasn't about to do that with this, this girl. Her name was Michelle. I wanted to dance with her. Uh, so I remember thinking, I don't know how to dance. Like, what if I do it wrong? And then I thought, oh, like if I walk across the gym and ask this young lady to dance with me, what if she says no? What if my offer to dance is rejected? And I thought, I don't know if I can handle that. Like all my friends are going to be over here laughing on this wall. And I'm walking over there in front of all these girls and asking her. And I think um, reconciliation is a lot like that, isn't it? We know the relationship's broken. Maybe we both want to be in the middle of the dance floor dancing together. We want the relationship to be healthy and be enjoying one another. But there's something there. And we're each waiting for the other to make the first move. And we're scared that we may not have the right words. Or that if we put ourselves out there and open up our heart and say something to the other person like, I care about this relationship, can we fix it? And they might say, I'm done with you. No. And the fear of rejection keeps us standing on the wall. You with me? And so, again, the problem, the problem with waiting, oh, yeah, go back, go back, go back. This is really important. So who goes first? Answer? Yeah, I do. See, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, uh, if we're waiting for the other person, we may never resolve the relationship. If we're waiting because we think they offended us, uh, they might be waiting because we offended them. So at the end of the day, someone has to make the first move and Paul and Jesus put the responsibility on you and me. Back, we read last week in, uh, in uh, Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5, I'll just, let me just quote it for you. Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus actually doesn't clarify whose fault it was. He doesn't say if you've done some terrible thing to your brother or if your brother did some terrible thing to you. He actually doesn't qualify all those details that we would love to know. He just says if there's a problem between you and somebody, do what you can to go fix it. So he puts the onus on you and me to take the first step, to move across the dance floor and invite the person in this broken relationship to dance. Is that making sense? So we'll skip ahead a couple slides. Uh, so here's our reassembly decision. I'll get back to, not get back at. And two, I'll own my slice of the pie. Here's three. We've just been talking about it. And number three says this. I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. That's it. Super simple. It's a step that you and I can take. Now, one of the things I've noticed about this is I would say this, uh, that making the first move can unlock freedom for others. And when I think about reconciliation, making the first move, I immediately think of the uh, African safari. Let me explain why. 
Over the years, I like to watch these nature shows, and uh, you see, especially when there's lions and tigers and alligators, it's really good, crocodiles, and uh, there's this great migration of wildebeest. Maybe some of you have seen it. There's literally over a million wildebeest, and they're moving from one part of the country to another part of the country for food. And I'm watching this on, on TV, and i got a picture here. So there's a picture of some wildebeest. Now, what you can't see up here, millions as far as the eye can see. And there's a few just standing at the shore, looking into the water. Now, they're thinking about it. In fact, sometimes this whole herd of, of wildebeest will stand on the edge of the river for hours, maybe even an entire day, just looking into the water. Now, why? Answer is simple. It's full of crocodiles who are waiting for a wildebeest burger. That's what they're waiting for. And so they're just sitting there, and they're going like, I don't, if I jump in that water, I may not make it out alive. That's what the wildebeest by nature is thinking. But it also, they also know that if they stay on this side of the river, they'll die of starvation. So there's this push and pull going on. And what, they'll just sit here, and I'm just watching on, on TV, and there was all these wildebeest, and they're all just standing there, and they're like, ooh, ooh, psych, psych. They're all trying to psych each other out so someone else would jump first. But then what happens is, okay, this is really cool. This wildebeest decides for whatever reason to jump in the water and just start swimming like crazy for the other side. And what happens is this wildebeest making a decision to move towards freedom, move towards the other side, actually unlocks the rest of the herd. It's crazy to see. Next thing you know, there's 20, 30 following behind. Next thing you know, millions start pouring over the hills and there's just this huge onslaught of wildebeest crossing the river a few of them get eaten by alligators, but it's usually not the first one because he's across by the time they get there. So you should go first. You should go first. That's the point. But here's what you need to understand is that when you decide to go first, you can actually unlock freedom for the person you're in a relationship with. When you go first to fix a relationship with your parent, your siblings see it, and it gives them the freedom to move. When this grade eight dance, we finally did get John to go and ask the girl, and she, of course, said yes. She'd been waiting a half an hour for somebody to ask her. So they move in, they start dancing, and we're all standing there going, now we're left. So all of a sudden, all the boys, right, are running across, trying not to be the last one to get a date for the dance. When you move, I've seen this happen in church. It's crazy to see uh, in church, you, you know, you have uh, to be an issue in the church, and everyone knows, you know, in a small church, everyone knows. There's these two people, and they're fighting, and everyone knows about it. We're all praying for them. But the problem's not being resolved. And then what happened, and I've seen this happen play over and over and over again. One of the people in this relationship that's really strained, it's impacting the whole church, they'll like stand up on a church service and be like, you know what, I'm sorry, I messed up. I'm, and they'll just start crying and they'll say, I, I should have said this sooner, I'm sorry. And they'll apologize to the person or the church. Next thing you know, the whole altar of the church is flooded with people crying, trying to fix their relationships. Why? Because one person decided to cross the floor and it unlocked freedom for everyone else. That's how revival starts. One couple people fall down on the altar and be like, God, I need you more than anything else, and I don't care. I'm changing my life. I'm changing whatever. I'm just giving my life to you. And other people see the freedom they found and go, I need that too. And next thing you know, people are moving. Just like we're not that much different than wildebeest or grade eight boys. Let's just be honest, okay? When somebody moves, we, we follow. Um, so I hope today, as I'm talking like this, that I'm encouraging you to be willing to take the first step. But I do have to give a word of warning. Okay, because I've been a pastor for a little while. Here's the word of caution. Making the first move, because I want you to be the kind of person who takes the first step, but making the first move does not mean taking all the blame. Starting the conversation doesn't mean you own everything and they do nothing and they don't say sorry. You just do take it all on yourself, pay for it all. That's not what that's saying, but you be first 
to open up the conversation. It doesn't mean taking all the blame. It also does not mean letting people walk on you. And again, we live in a church that we focus a lot on grace, and sometimes we forget about truth. And in an, in, in an effort to follow Jesus' command to turn the other cheek, sometimes we just let people slap us around, and that's not good either. Because that's not helping us, and it's not helping the person who's abusing us either, right? There's this thing I've seen on YouTube. There's this new sport called slap fighting. Anyone ever seen this? Like, if you haven't seen it, these giant men with big, thick hands, and they sit, like, or stand right across from each other, and it's like, wow, they slap each other in the face. And they take turns until you either give up because you're in pain or you black out, get knocked out. That's when the game ends, okay? I've literally seen people in church do this in the name of grace, right? They just let people walk on them like, well, I'm just being like Jesus. No, no, no. So making the first move doesn't mean you take all the blame. It doesn't mean you let people walk on you. You can have your dignity and you can, you can hold the line of truth. And thirdly, there should be a third one, uh, it doesn't mean doing the process alone. Now, this is really important. I need to take a minute on this. Um, most of us, if we have an issue with another person in a relationship, we can have a conversation with them. We can sort it out together, right? You, would you agree? Friendship, marriage, whatever. You can have a conversation. You can sort it on your own. But there are some times when you shouldn't try to solve the relationship issue and reconcile alone. Let me qualify, and I'll just, um, by asking this question. When should you get someone else involved? Now, I got no slides for this, so let me just tell you. Here's when you shouldn't try to reconcile with somebody alone. Number one, if there's danger. If you're in danger of being physically, emotionally, sexually abused in any way, you should have someone with you, preferably someone larger than the other person. You should not go alone. Uh, You should have somebody. Sometimes you might even have to have the police. But you still have to take a step, but you have to bring somebody with you. Does that make sense? Safety. Okay, let's not, let's not be silly. Okay, so that's one. This, the second one is when there is an imbalance of power, that's another time when you need someone else involved. So, for example, if you have a relational issue with your boss, and you bring it up, and you're trying to sort it out, and your boss goes, yeah, you're fired. That's an imbalance of power, and probably someone, the government, union, somebody's going to get involved, a third party to come in to have your back. Otherwise, you're at a huge distance. So this is, here's the third one. Okay, this is another time you need to have someone else involved. If you have a relationship, the best, the best example I have of this is marriage. Two people have married a decade. They both want to reconcile. They keep trying to reconcile. They keep fumbling around the same issue, can't fix it, can't find a way forward, and it goes over and over and over and over, and they're at their wit's end. What do you do? You need to involve a third party, a counselor, Right? Someone who's trained to walk you through a process, to ask the right questions, a mentor, a pastor, somebody involved to help you bridge the gap. Okay? So there are some times. So not everything is going to be solved one-on-one, but most will. Does that make sense? I really wanted to give that caution because I know sometimes people, we get so excited, we're like, I'm going to fix it! I'm going to be first! And maybe we ought to bring somebody along with us. So with that, let me just quickly recap and I'm going to share our last point and we'll begin to wrap it up. I want to get back to, not get back at. I'm going to own my slice of the blame pie. Thirdly, I'm going to make the first move, regardless of who moved away first. And lastly, I'll keep the door open and the welcome mat out. I'll keep the door open and the welcome mat out. Um, I think on this point, I really want to point one thing out that I think is really important, and that's this. Reconciliation is a posture, and what do we say? Process. If you're applying for a job, a position, or something and they tell you that there's an application process, what does that mean? That there's a bunch of steps you got to take. 
It usually means it's hard and takes time. And that, I think, is true of reconciliation. I think sometimes we wrongly assume that we're going to have the hard conversations that we go first and the other person goes, yeah, I want to address this. Let's talk. And you start talking and you think, this is all going to be solved in 30 minutes. And uh, that's often not how it goes, right? Reconciliation is a process. It takes time. It takes time. Uh, sometimes uh, relationships can actually go wrong in two ways, generally speaking. One, a traumatic event that does huge damage in a short period of time. And sometimes it's the slow, festering kind of relationship where you just, it just sort of dies slowly. And you, So again, either one of those is going to take time to restore and heal the relationship, right? If I broke my leg, you take me to the hospital, and they would set my bone, and they put it in a cast, and you might say, well, hey, the problem's fixed. Let's go run a marathon. I'm not running anywhere for months. The bone's got to heal, then the cast comes off, then the muscles have to be strengthened. It's going to take me a long time before I'm doing what I used to do again. And when it comes to our relationships, the same is true. It's not fixed in an instant. It's not fixed when somebody just pays back a price or says they're sorry. There's process and there's time. And I'll tell you something that I, I've, I've recognized in my life is that often it's kind of two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back. I'm doing training right now for sports stuff for my kids. And I do a concussion module. Now, it's helpful. I knew most of the answers because I had a pretty severe concussion a number of years back. And uh, when you have a concussion and you want to play your sport, then the doctor has to give you a concussion plan for how to re-enter into activity. So, you know, you might rest and you go, I'm feeling great. And they say, start with light physical activity. And you start and you're like, hey, no symptoms are re-emerging. Okay, great. Go to moderate activity. Start, you know, doing a little bit of training. And then if you start getting headaches, you start feeling sick, you back it back to rest and you start the process and you start working forward and you run into an obstacle, you back up. And you go forward, right? So this all makes sense, right? So that you can get back to where you were without doing further damage. But here's what happens in our relationships. If you go to the next slide uh, for me, when it, comes to the, when it comes to relationships, we go, hey, let's fix this. And the other person says, yes. And then we run into an obstacle and then we shut the door and we go, we tried that. We put the welcome mat out, said, hey, let's fix this. And then it didn't quite go the way we thought. And we yanked the welcome mat and we padlock the door, deadbolt it. And in some cases, we take a cinder block and we just close off the opening altogether. We've got to keep the welcome mat out. And again, we can do that wisely without putting ourselves in danger. But we have to be willing to allow reconciliation to be a process. Things will not be as they were instantly. It's a process, and it's often three steps forward, two steps back. If you have that in your mind, if you think of the concussion protocol... It'll help you to not give up too quickly because I've noticed sometimes um, it takes months for God to do the hard work in me to be willing to reconcile, but the other person hasn't done the work yet. So I might say, hey, let's fix our relationship. And you might say, I'm willing, but it might take you some time. And so I want to encourage you today, as we close the service, Jace is going gonna, is gonna to lead us in a little song. Uh, and the intention of this is for you to listen to the words. This, this song is about who God is. And the reason why we go first is because he went first. Romans 5.8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He went first, and he invites us to do the same. And so today, he's going to sing this song, and then uh, I think maybe as he's doing so, I just want to kind of leave the front of the church open. If you're here today, and you're like, 
I wrote a few things down. If you're like, today I need to take the first step. I've cut the process short. I need to put the welcome back back out in this situation. Maybe you just want to come to the front and just pray, have time with God and just ask for his help. Maybe I'm I'm here, Todd. We have other leaders who can jump in and, and help pray if you need prayer. But yeah, just take a moment to do the hard work that we need to do we want to start the process and move in the direction of reconciliation. So let me pray for you. And then Jace is going to lead us in this song. You can just sit and listen. If you'd like to come forward and, and pray, um, please do so. Father, thank you for every person here. I know that this is uh, difficult material because it dredges up all kinds of past hurts and difficulties. But God, your desire for us is that we would be in health, mind, body, spirit in every way that we would be at peace one with another, with those in this room, with those in our family, our friends. And God, I, I pray that as we are willing to take the first step towards reconciling a relationship, that we're following in your footsteps. And that when we take that step, it's a step of faith, knowing that the God of reconciliation goes with us, empowering us, strengthening us. And even if the other person doesn't reciprocate, we trust that we're doing the right thing and taking a step and that you are with us through it all. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can go to pathwaylife.com. And we have information there about our ministry. You can donate and uh, share uh, messages with others. Thanks so much. Have a great week.